0: All right, so uh, we're on a series on our values, and today we're, we're tackling discipleship. Uh, dis- I'm going to define discipleship briefly, then we're, we're going to jump into a uh, passage of scripture. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings is on the left side of your Bible. Don't be afraid of that uh, table of contents if you're using a paper Bible. And um, I guess if you're using an electronic Bible, just 1 K-I-N, and you'll get to the right place. Um, so, we're, we're going to jump in the Word. And then I want to, as we look at this passage today, what I want to do is I just want to highlight this process that God takes us through in the call for us to be disciples. Disciple, Disciple, or a disciple, is a person who commits to following another person. Not at a surface level, but at a very real level where you take on their values, their priorities, even their lifestyle. Um, discipleship is, uh, being a disciple is about being a follower. It's about being a student. And discipleship is the process of becoming a disciple or the process of making a disciple. And so when we talk about valuing discipleship, what we're saying is we value Individuals making a decision to follow Jesus intentionally and becoming like him. It's not just showing up at church on Sunday morning. It's not showing up at classes and checking off boxes. It's not the value of worshiping really, really hard and then letting it go the rest of the week. But it's about intentionally following Jesus and allowing his Holy Spirit to make us like him. That's what we talk about when we talk about valuing discipleship. When we follow Jesus, we shouldn't follow him like we follow anyone else. Uh, you know, if, if I'm asking somebody, uh, you know, oftentimes when we're following people, we're, we're waiting for the thing that we disagree with, and we're waiting for the point where we know better so we can turn right instead of turning left. You know, the other day I followed somebody to the store. It's like, hey, let's just meet at the store. I'll just, I'll follow you. And then they went a direction I didn't want to go, so I just went my own way. And I was like, I'm going to beat them and show them that I'm right and they're wrong. And they chose a stupid direction. Right? We shouldn't follow Jesus the same way we follow people to the store because that would be foolish. But we, well, we, can, we can do it, right? We can be like, oh, so Jesus is saying I should humble myself and forgive. Mm, I think I know better. I'm not going to forgive. Right? We, don't, we don't say it out loud that way. We don't say it with the smugness that I'm saying it with now. But we kind of make those decisions in our heart, and we can stand up firm and hard against the leadership that Jesus is trying to offer us and that he wants to provide for us. There is, let me just say on, on, as a side note, there, there is no better way than the, Jesus, the way that Jesus wants to take you. Even if it hurts more than the way that you would choose for yourself, even if it's harder than the way that you would choose for yourself, there is no greater way than the way that Jesus would call you to go. Sometimes it'll be, it'll be longer. You're like, God, I can get there from right here. I could get rich by robbing the bank. And you're saying that I need to give? It seems to be in the wrong direction. And he said, No, 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 I'm taking you in the wrong direction. Not like robbing a bank was a good illustration for this. <laughs> Maybe I could have come up with something else. But whatever, you get the point. You feel like I could quickly go in this direction and get the results that I want uh, with some consequences, or I could take what feels like a step backwards, but really God is providing me a way forward. And so as we commit to being disciples, as, as we are disciples in our context, we're taking on the values of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, the priorities of Jesus, and living life the way that Jesus would have us live. You know, for a long time, there was a, there was a what, what would Jesus do bracelet. Do they still make those? No? Maybe? I don't know. Probably not because they were the most stolen item from Christian bookstores. <laughs> Irony, huh? And so you've got these what would Jesus do bracelets, but that's asking the wrong question, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would do what Jesus would do because he was God. Uh, The better question is, what would Jesus have me do in this situation? Because I can't necessarily do what Jesus would do. Jesus spit on mud and shoved it in a guy's eye socket made an eyeball out of it, and the blind guy could see. Right? You with me? So he can do things I can't do. And so what I should really be concerned with is, Jesus, what would you have me do right now in this relationship? If asking the question, what would Jesus do, gets you in that direction, good. But uh, really what we want to get to is a place where we're following Jesus and we're doing what he would have us do and not staying in a philosophical realm of, uh, what would Jesus possibly do right now? I don't know, walk on water? Anyway. The bottom line, the bottom line is, and then we'll jump into the passage. The bottom line is that Jesus wants more for us than a response to an altar call. Jesus wants more for us than to raise our hand and to be having an emotional experience or even even a significant experience, but a temporary one. He doesn't want us just to be expert churchgoers and expert Bible study attenders and even expert Bible study leaders. That's not what He's interested in. Our, our, Our best efforts that hold our hearts back from him are, 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 are disappointing at best to him. What he wants from us and for us is that we would follow him. And it's from us and that we have to give it. It's for us and that it's for our benefit. So let's jump in. It's 1 Kings chapter 19. We're looking at verses 19 through 21. <clears throat> so he, being Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and I'll follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is God's word to us. Father, help us today to take the steps of faith that Elisha took and follow you more wholeheartedly today. In Jesus' name, amen. So long before this moment, there was a little boy named Elijah and a little boy named Elisha. And they grew up in their different areas. They grew up with their distinct paths and their distinct experiences. Elijah was a man of extremes. He is a fun study. If you want to do a fun character study, you could look at Elijah. And you look at the things that he did and how he did it. It is intense. And there is not a lot of balance in Elijah's life. I love Elijah for that reason. He's so intense. I mean, he got in a fight with 400 prophets of Baal. You know, these other 400 prophets that were worshiping these other pagan gods. And, and he, he basically was like, my God will not only consume this sacrifice with fire, but I'm going to put water on the fire so you, that you know that nobody's, nobody's, there are no tricks happening here. And then he starts talking trash to these guys who are all armed. And he's standing here all by, all by himself. This is Elijah, and that's his life. And then you've got Elisha who grew up on a farm. Elisha grew up in a very wealthy family, 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 ox, uh, oxen, and that represents a lot of wealth and a lot of, a lot of resources and a lot of probably people at his disposal. So he's not a guy who, who grew up with nothing and didn't know anything. He's a guy who had some resources at his hand, probably had an inheritance coming to him, probably had some significant things happening. I think the reason I, I, I talk about those things is because sometimes what we do is we forget about those things when we jump into the middle of somebody's life in the story. Sometimes we, we forget that Elisha was a little boy who grew up in a wealthy family, or that Elijah is the same guy who called down fire from heaven and lived by a brook and was fed by birds for a season of his life, right? Who walked around and prophesied naked for a season, right? I mean, this guy was intense. It was, it was borderline crazy. And it, we jump into a story like this, and we we clean the whole thing up, and we forget that they lived these lives. We forget that they that they have to eat food, and that they had dreams and desires, and they had challenges, and they had hopes and dreams, and all of these things were at at stake, and all of these things hung in the balance every time they interact with each other. So you've got this radical prophet and this rich kid, and they and they and the 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 and this is where we this is where we pick up the story. There was a search by God to find people who he could use. And that's that first step. There are going to be three steps that I talk about. The search, the surrender, and the sacrifice. See, I don't think it's surrender. It just came out that way. It's the search, the selection, and the sacrifice. <laughs> just came out, it flowed, right? Maybe that's the sermon I should be preaching. We'll see. So it starts with the search, but the search wasn't Elijah's. When we jump into this text, it looks like, oh, Elijah has been looking for somebody. No, no. During this whole time, God had been seeking out someone. God had been seeking out his man who would follow and pick up the ministry of Elijah when Elijah wasn't going to be doing the ministry any longer. God told Elijah, you need to go find this guy. And he's the guy who's going to serve under you. God is looking all the time to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. It wasn't necessarily the big things that Elisha had done, the significant things, the resume that we ha- he has. We don't know anything about his resume except for who his daddy is. We don't know anything really about his life except for they had a lot of resources. But God was looking with his own criteria God was searching across the whole earth, looking and saying, who can take this job? Who can be my man in this time for this need? Who's the person who I can trust to take on the spirit and the mantle of Elijah and to to advance my kingdom, to proclaim my word, and to, to, to preach boldly to people who are running from me? Who could do this? And he decided this man is Elisha. And then he tells Elijah, you need to go find this guy. He's the dude. Let me just say that your, your whole life is a setup. Your whole life, everything that you've ever experienced, is a whole, the whole thing is a setup for God to do something extraordinary. For God to reveal himself to you and to help you understand who you are and who you were created to be and why you were created to be. I'm not talking about the being, being a billionaire or a multimillionaire. I'm not talking about being rich or being significant in the eyes of society. I'm talking about being significant in the eyes of God. I'm talking about having a great purpose and a great destiny, and it's not necessarily going to put you in the news, it's, but it might make you the most important person in, in somebody else's life. I, uh, I grew up hearing a destiny message. and My heart was so stirred by it, and I wanted, to, I wanted it. I knew that God had something special for me. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was going to be massive, and I knew as I, I knew I was going to be rich and famous. Not one or the other. It was going to be both. But then it turned out I wasn't good at any of the things that were going to make me rich and famous. God started speaking to me when I was in college. And one of the questions that really helped refine me in my discipleship process was the question, David, would you follow me into anonymity? And I had a real problem with that. Would I follow you into anonymity? God, you might not have gotten the memo, but I'm going to be rich and famous. (laughs) I am going to be significant. Would you follow me into anonymity? I just share that because that was helpful for me. I wonder if the same question might be challenging to you as well. Because the name that I wanted wasn't the name for God. The name that I wanted was a name for me. That gets in the way. God's like, there can only be one of me, and it's me. So there's this search where God's looking for people to whom and through whom he can reveal himself. Then we have this selection moment. (laughs) <laughs> where Elijah runs into the field where Elisha's working and throws his mantle on him. A mantle, uh, Elisha, Elijah's mantle was probably a sheepskin kind of coat or thing that he, he wore over top that identified him to the community as a prophet, to the Jewish community as a prophet. So they'd see it, they'd be like, oh, okay, that's, he's, there's something about him. He's a prophet. It's kind of like a uniform or, you know, at a graduation ceremony where the different people have different robes for different purposes. The The bachelor level candidates have just a normal robe with the, the cap and hat and then if you if you 're getting your masters then you've got a different robe and they put the strings on and then if you 're getting your doctorate there's the whole the whole thing right the whole hood thing that they put on top of you the 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 robes identify you in the graduation ceremony but these, these guys they wore it all the time and so you could know what who he was and what he was up to and so he runs into the field and he throws it on elisha this cracked me up when I was reading it because I pictured it happening and you know because like we, we spiritualize it but elisha 's walking behind all these ox and he's plowing a field and this crazy prophet runs through and throws something on him. There's no indication that he stopped running and then he just keeps running. And I'm, I'm sure Elisha's like, what the heck just happened? You know, and then he's, he's looking and now he's, he's got this thing on. He's like, this is weird. You ever had something weird happen like that? I was on a missions trip in Australia. A guy stuck his finger in my ice cream at a bus stop. That happened. And so I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it and he, he walked away. He was just drunk. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, what in the world just happened? I didn't. That's not in my notes. I was just thinking about times I've been baffled. And I'm sure Elisha's sitting here working, and he's just like, that was, that was strange. I mean, Elijah ran up next to a chariot. I mean, this guy was fast. He's not a slow dude. And so, you know, like just a full sprint, like Usain Bolt in this thing, and just throwing his mantle on him and just kept running. And I just, I just get a kick out of that. But this is the real life that these people lived. And Elisha's response was not to be like, that was strange. Go get the guns. He was like, okay, I'm going to follow you. Wow. Something happened. Something He knew something significant, more significant than what was happening on the surface was, was at work. You ever been in a moment and you know it's not about that moment? He's like, that was weird. But I just feel God all over it. I want to give myself to this. And he was, he was selected. Elijah threw threw it on him. We don't throw mantles on on people anymore when we enlist them into service. We just hand out a serve card and ask you to volunteer yourself. But we hope that the Spirit of God is pressing on your heart and putting things on your heart that you go, oh, you know what? This is where I'm supposed to be. This is how I'm called to serve. This is how I'm called to walk with these people. If you'd like, I could throw a rug on you. (laughs) But we're... We're doing it in another way. You know, some of us duck the mantle. Some of us duck the mantle. We see Elijah coming. We feel God pressing on our heart, and we're like, ah, you're not going to get me this week. Right? You've ducked the mantle. Has anybody else ducked the mantle? Pastor Donnell Jones tells this funny story about he's our. Pastor Donnell Jones is the pastor in our D.C. church. He tells a story about how uh, when he was he had just come to faith in Christ and they were in a portable situation, kind of like we are, and uh, they were recruiting people to be part of the setup Teardown team, to be grunts, by the way. If you don't have anything to do on Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock, we'd love for you to come out and help set up. But, that's, but so Pastor Donnell was talking to this guy past, who's now Pastor Vincent, and he, Vincent's like, hey, we need, you to, we need you to join this team. It's going to be good for you. It'll help you with your, in your discipleship walk. We'll spend some time together, and we'll set stuff up on the go. And Pastor Donnell had enough Christian language that he said, well, I don't feel led." He ducked, he, he ducked the mantle. Pastor Vincent's response was, well, get the lead out. We need some of that in our life, don't we? Anyway, Pastor Donnell tried to duck the mantle, and then Pastor Vincent hit him in the face with it. So Pastor Donnell served, and now he's the pastor of our church in D.C. Now we call him pastor, right? That was just two young men serving at the time. It wasn't pastor and pastor. It was just Vincent and Donnell having a conversation about what would help them grow and what the needs of the church were and trying to figure out how to press forward together. But don't duck the mantle when it comes. It's going to be tempting to. You're going to want to. It's going to feel like responsibility. I've been meeting people lately from a church background who don't serve because they're afraid of burning out. And it's like so the fear of burning out is going to keep you from walking in the fullness of the life that God has for you. The fear that something would bad would happen, well if we extrapolate that, what that's what keeps us from giving. That's what keeps us from being generous with our time. That's what keeps us from being generous with our money. That's what keeps us from being generous with our relationships. You know, how, how sad would it be if you never entered into a relationship with someone because you were afraid that they were going to leave you? Wow. That's good. Right? There's, there's risk that comes certainly with serving and giving and, and entering into a relationship. But in this walk of faith, we've got to trust God that he's going to have our best at stake, that he's going to sustain us, and he'll comfort us. And if hard times come, if a friend has to leave, if this has to, if, if uh, you get a bigger tax bill than you expected, or the money doesn't come in that you had hoped for, that God will continue to provide. Elijah finds him in the field, passed by him, casts his cloak upon him. And then we see his sacrifice, we see his response. Elisha responds by saying, hey. He, he responds by chasing immediately. He doesn't, he doesn't wait. He just chases. He, he catches up and he's like, hey, can I, can I go kiss my mom and dad and say goodbye? And Elijah's like, sure. I mean, I didn't raise you. That's probably not a bad idea. And so he runs back. And then not only does, does he, he run back, kisses mother and father, we assume but then, he, but then he kills the oxen and cooks them on a fire made from the yoke. Basically to say, I'm not coming back to this. I'm following you. I'm not creating a path back. There's no bridge back. There's, no, there's nothing else that I'm going to come back for or chase after. I'm following you and I'm going to give myself to you and to this purpose. That's the invitation to us today from Jesus is to forsake everything else and to chase after him and to be willing to, to burn the bridges. There are some bridges that need to be burned in our lives. There's a, uh, it's from high school history, right? Cortez. Not exactly somebody we want to model our lives after, but he, he, he came and he had these, these warriors and, and to make sure that they didn't retreat, he burned the ships. He had traveled across the ocean. They came up and he's like, we're going to conquer this land and there's no going back because I burned the ships. And so we're either going to figure this out or we're going to die, but there's no going back because you don't know how to build ships. They'd <laughs> <laughs> probably die trying, right? <laughs> I don't like that idea. How far will a raft get me? Um, we need to have that kind of Attitude in our lives, or that kind of willingness in our life to burn, to burn the ships, to burn the yoke, to burn that thing. And you know, sometimes it's an old relationship, right? The person you kind of, sort of broke up with, but it's open. You made sure you didn't kill it so dead, in case you feel lonely, so you can call them up. It's kind of awkward right now, I know. But if we don't talk about real life, what are we talking about? Right? It's about that bank account that you have hidden. It's about that, it's a, it's about that escape plan. It's about that, it's about that girlfriend you never, you never close the door on because you're not sure if your marriage is going to work out. Too real? <laughs> it's about that person you didn't want to defriend on Facebook because you like looking at their pictures but you really should just defriend that person so you don't think about those wonderful days in the past and live there instead of here. Too much? Maybe one more. Maybe one more. (laughs) Right? That person who you stayed friends with so that you can check out their life and wonder what your life would be like if you had? I wonder what they're up to. You don't want to know what they're up to. You want to know what you two would be up to. Some of us need to go home and find that unfriend button. <laughs> Minimally the hide from news feed button. <laughs> need to burn it. Now, in this case, I've been talking about all bad stuff. What's remarkable about, uh, what's remarkable, uh, remarkable about Elisha is that the stuff he burned wasn't bad. It was his inheritance. There's nothing innately wrong with the things that that he had and that he sacrificed. And sometimes God is going to call us to sacrifice the good thing for the God thing. Do I take take this job that's going to offer more money, but it's going to take me somewhere? But I know God's called me to be here. Do I stay for the less money for God? Sometimes I'll have to go for the less money. I'll we'll have to do the thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface because I'm giving up something that appears to be good by, by all means. It's like, yes, everything in, in from practical sense and from natural sense would say, yes, you should do this thing. But God's saying, no, no, you got to leave this because I've got something else in mind for you. I've got something else in store for you. So he throws this party. <laughs> He throws this party and sacrifices it and everybody's eating. And, you know, so they, everybody benefited from the decision that he made to leave. But something that strikes me about this whole thing is that he didn't go and take the leadership position here. He didn't give up the inheritance that he had, the resources that he had, the, the job that he had. He didn't, he didn't give these things up for, for the leadership position. He gave these things up to serve someone. To serve someone else. Anybody will give something away to be the man. But would you give something up to serve the man? Not the man, the man, you know, like the man, like the personification of the government that's bad that we used to that one, that man. I'm talking about the man. But I mean, would you serve that man too? Whatever, I lost some of y'all. I meant to say during the search that one of the things that qualified Elisha is because God knew he would do this. God knew this would be his response because God found him serving another man's field. God found him in the field. And God, God likes to find people in fields who are working and serving and faithfully just about the business. So he found found Elisha in this field. It could have been his field. It was probably his family's field. Moses was tending to his father in law's sheep, or his flock rather. If you don't have your own field, serve someone else's field. Gideon was found in a field. He was terrified, he was scared to death. And an angel of the Lord came to him and said, Courageous man, it's time to go. Let's go. And he's like, "Uh, I'm here fearful and I'm scared but he was faithful. King David was found out tending his father's field, tending his father's flock out in the fields when the prophet found him. Peter and Andrew, now in the New Testament, Peter and Andrew were were fishermen and they were in, in their boat. They were in their proverbial field when Jesus called them to follow him. They left their boat. They left their field. They left the thing that they were doing. They left their vocation. They left that job. They left that promotion because they knew that God was calling them into something different. This isn't a, a message about walking away from promotion. It's, it's, a, it's a message about following Jesus, even if it means missing out on what you think you were entitled to or that you deserve. But I've served so long. My favorite testimony, well, I love any time somebody gives their life to Christ. One of my favorite testimonies from campus ministers is the ones who were like, yeah, I was going for law school and I was going to be a doctor or I was going to be a congressman. I was going to be a senator and God called me into ministry. I love that one because it's it's God arresting somebody's heart and, and completely flipping it on its head. I love the, the, the drug dealer who gets saved and uses that entrepreneurial grace <laughs> to lead businesses, to fund, to fund missions. I love those testimonies. I love those stories. The ones that are like, I don't want that. I want this instead. I'll follow you in, into anonymity. Because the person who's willing to be followed into anonymity, willing to follow into anonymity, willing to follow in service, is, is going to know what to do if the spotlight ever gets on them. There's a, there's a right thing to do with the spotlight when it comes, but we should not pursue the spotlight. When uh, Daryl Green was inducted into the Hall of Fame, um, Daryl Green is, a, is a, one of the leaders of Grace Covenant, and our, he's in our Chantilly location he, um, he's a Hall of Fame football player, and at his induction, he said, I'm here because I know, what, I, know how to, I know what to do with this. I know how to use it. I'm not just gonna drag it through the mud. I'm not gonna use the influence that I now have for my own name, but I'm gonna make the community better. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make the city better. I'm gonna use the influence and the authority that I have because of this jacket to make a difference. So if you are called into a place of influence, if following Jesus isn't into anonymity, but it's into a spotlight, use that spotlight for the glory of Jesus. Elisha would end up in the spotlight. But for now, he was gonna continue serving another man's field. I tried to come up with a a list of ways that discipleship is like nachos. (laughs) But But it came up empty. Just like a plate of good nachos. (laughs) Empty. (laughs) Now, the question I want to ask for you, for everybody today, is uh, what what are you watching over your shoulder? Jesus would say in Luke 9 62, He says, No one, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In this case the plow is the plow of joining into the work of the kingdom. He's saying you can't you can't follow me and keep watching over your shoulder and wonder what if instead what Maybe that's better. Maybe I should have, maybe the world looks really good. Maybe if I went to the club, maybe if I, if I went to this other thing or if I found my purpose in this, or maybe if I had riches. I hear you saying that I should give, but I want to have riches. I hear you saying that I should serve, but I want to be served. You can't go in both directions. I remember the first time, uh, one of my very first driving lessons with, was with my dad on the interstate. And I don't know what get, gave it off. Maybe it was the, the swerving. But he's like, son, you can't drive forward looking in the rearview mirror. And it was a big car, and I didn't know where the lines were. And I was like, oh, I figured out I can see the line in the sideview mirror. And so I was basically driving in the sideview mirror. Right? Not exactly a great way to drive. But there is a temptation and there is a risk of following Jesus that same way. They were like, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But just in case... God, I'll follow you, but just in case, let's be a people who are willing to sacrifice. Let's be a people who are willing to follow, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface. Now, if it doesn't, the good thing about living in community and living in family and, and doing life with one another, if it's that, if it's crazy, we'll tell you. Right? Because there is a place where it's like, no, you've crossed that line from faith to foolish, and you're going to die. <laughs> Being willing to die for Jesus, good. Causing yourself to die for Jesus, maybe not so good. But let's be those kind of people who burn the ships, who sacrifice the ox, who burn the yoke, who leave it behind and charge forward to follow Jesus and allow him to shape us. Now, all of this is about Elisha following God. But God provided a man to help Elisha understand what God was doing. So I'll say that God is going to provide men and women into your life to help you become a disciple, to help you understand what it is that God is actually doing. I need men in my life to help me understand what God's what God's saying when He says it. I need men to look at my life and to help me understand that that can go. Trim that tree. It's bearing bad fruit. Trim that branch. Cut that off. You got you got bad, you got bad fruit. Let's check your soil. You need you need. You need a fresh grace. You need something new in the soil to bring up better fruit. But God will provide people. So at the same time as we follow God and we leave everything to follow him, I just want to encourage you that following him is going to look like walking with and following people also. Father, we love you. Help us to follow you. I believe that you are looking to and fro. You're looking all over the earth for people who are going to worship you in spirit and in truth, for people who will humble themselves and follow you and sacrifice the things that we would rather hold on to. But but for the sake of following you and accepting the things that you have for us, we would leave it aside.